Well, as I said earlier, we have put up all these decorations. We sing all these songs. We preach Advent messages. We do all that we do here around the Advent to do one thing, that is to welcome the King. If the king were coming to your house, you would put up decorations and you would put a good meal on the table. And so to celebrate the fact that our king came to earth to visit us and be with us and that his spirit is still here with us now and that he promises to come again, we decorate the halls and we put food on the table and we sing songs of joy and of feasting because we consider his coming to be good news, good news that's available to all men. And I want to start our times of teaching and preaching through Advent this year with a question. And the question is, who does his coming bless? Is everyone on earth blessed that he came? Or is it only some of us? And your first answer might be, well, of of course, good news that will be for all the people. Everybody on earth is blessed because he came. And if that's your impulse to answer that way, in a sense, you are right. His coming offers good news to everyone. Anyone who hears and is willing can come and treat his coming as good news. But there is more to the story than that. We actually see evidence in his coming in the narratives in the scriptures that his coming is good for some, but winds up being bad for some. For instance, when the angel of the Lord appears to Mary, uh, the Lord says to her, she's scared, and he says to her, greetings, one who is highly favored. So she's a favored one, right? You're highly blessed and highly favored by God. And she is given great greetings, and the Lord is with her, it says, and she leaves singing songs of the humble being lifted up, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So it's certainly good for some that this king came. But she also sings of kings being toppled from their thrones at the coming of this boy, and of the rich being sent away empty because of the coming of this boy. So good for Mary, good for the humble who are lifted up, not so good for those kings who are toppled from their throne or for those rich who are sent away empty. So yeah, there's a sense in which his coming is good for everybody, but some ways in which it's not good for everybody. That dynamic continues as the angels appear to the shepherds and they say on one hand, fear not for we bring you good news that will be for all the people, right? The good news they bring is available to everyone. And then they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased, right? Not every, among those with whom God is pleased. Oh, wait. That makes you want, okay, how do I be one of those ones with whom God is pleased? I want his coming to be good news for me here. Later, they take the boy Jesus to the temple to give the offerings under the law that they followed under God's ways. And they meet a prophet there named Simeon who says to them, this child is appointed for the rising and the falling of many in Israel and a sign that is opposed And then he even says to Mary, a sword will pierce your heart also. There's there's darkness even in the beginning of his coming, anticipated. The rising of some and the falling of some, that's what his coming means. And this happens any time a king comes and there is a transfer of power. It is good for those who gain at his coming, but it is not so good for those who are removed from power. And so the question we have to ask is, Who is this coming good news for? 
Because if those things are true, that means that on the last day when all is said and done, there will be many who celebrate this coming of Jesus Christ as the greatest day in human history. But there will be some who curse the day that Jesus Christ came as the day their enemy arrived. Now, how do we make sure we're on the right side of that equation? That's the question we're going to answer today. How do, I, how do I determine which one am I on? Am I one of the people blessed by his coming, or am I one of the people who will wind up one day wishing that he had never come and had never met me in this way? We look today at Luke 8, at some of the words of Jesus Christ, which answer that question. Who is blessed by his coming? And by implication, who is not blessed at his coming? Would you look at me at Luke 8, and we're just going to read verses 19 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The words of the Lord. Through those words that Jesus spoke, he calls everyone everywhere to receive him and his message. And those who do, he says, are more precious to him than family. This is one of those stories that's not so much about the story as it is about what Jesus says, right? The whole story is just built up to that one line that Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The story is very simply that he is out preaching. He has gone from place to place now preaching and his family has come to see him, but they can't get to him because there's such a crowd there and they can't get through. And so his disciples tell him, hey, your family's here, your mom and your brothers, they're here. And this is the occasion he uses as a teaching moment. So I'm actually going to teach you right now with my answer. Rather than just say, oh, great, let them in. I'm going to teach you. And so he teaches by saying, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This will be echoed a few chapters later in chapter 11 when he is preaching and the crowd calls out to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and blessed are the breasts that nursed you, right? The opposite of a your mom joke, right? How blessed is your mother, the one who is teaching us like this? And he says back to them, No, blessed rather are those who hear my words and keep them. Same concept, right? Those who hear his words and do what he says are more dear to him, more precious to him, even than earthly family is. This is a window into how much Jesus desires for his preaching and his message to be heard and received in the hearts of men and how dearly he holds those of us who have received his message, even more than the bond between a mother and child, even more than the bond between mothers, is the sense that he has toward those who follow him faithfully. Now we have to ask here, what does he mean when he says, those who hear the word of God and and do it? 
Particularly, we've got to ask that because if you've been a member here for a while, uh, you may be a little surprised at that wording. It does not say what I expect it to say and what perhaps you might expect it to say, which is, blessed are those who hear the word of God and believe it, right? Salvation is by grace through faith. So wouldn't we expect him to say, blessed are those who hear this word and believe it? As John says, those who received him and believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Or whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But here, Luke records it, Jesus saying, blessed are those who hear my words and and do it. Why would he say it like that? Well, To get a good feel for that, we ought to look a little bit at his preaching through the book of Luke. And so to do that, we're going to flip back probably two pages in your Bible to Luke 5, asking the question, what does he mean by the word of God? And why does he say, hear it and do it, rather than hear it and believe in it, as we would expect him to say? Okay. The first verse of Luke chapter 5 gives us an understanding of what he means when he says the word of God when we're talking about Jesus. Uh, Very simply, uh, it says, on one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and we can stop there, okay? There's a crowd pressing in on him because they want to hear what? The word of God. What do they literally want to hear? They want to hear Jesus preaching, right? They're pressing in because they want to hear his preaching, So they consider his preaching to be the words of God. When he speaks, it's God speaking. That's why they're gathered around and want to hear him speak, because God's speaking through him. Luke believes this as well, and this is why he words it like this. They're gathering around him, not just to hear a prophet speak, not just to hear words and a good sermon. They're they're gathering around to hear God's words. So in Luke, the words of God are often equated with the preaching of Jesus and even the message of Jesus. To receive his preaching is to receive God's word because he is speaking God's word. So when Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the words of God and keep it, he means, here's my preaching, here's my message, and, and does it, receives his message. There's half of it. Let's move over to chapter 6. This is a rather famous passage, the end of the sermon on, in Luke, the plain, which is similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Luke 6, verses 46 to 49. My pages are sticking together. There we go. Jesus says to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and not do what I tell you? There's a familiar concept, right? Hear it and do it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, that's the same concepts again, right? Hearing his words, Jesus' words, and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the stream broke against it and immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. So, Two concepts from today's text carried over here. Hearing Jesus' words and and doing them. How does he expect you to respond to his preaching to to do it? Okay, one more we'll look at. Chapter 8, this is the lead up to today's story. 
We'll look at verse 11 and verse 15. Jesus has just told the famous parable of the sower. This is a story where a farmer is sowing seed and he's sowing it all over the place. It's the same seed everywhere that he sows. Some on the path, some on rocky ground, some on good soil. The path and the rocky ground don't give any fruit. The seed isn't accepted by the path and by the rocky ground. But the good soil produces fruit, right? Good plant comes up from that. Fruit comes from that one. And the idea is that there's no difference in the seed, the same seeds being thrown everywhere. The difference is the ground that the seed goes into. Some ground receives it and produces fruit. And they are like, what does this mean? In verse 11, he tells them what it means. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Same words he uses in today's text, the word of God. And then down in verse 15, As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Here is the pattern of one who receives Jesus' teaching. He sows the seed. Some ground receives that seed, holds on to it, And any ground that receives seed will eventually shoot up a plant and bear fruit. So the one who hears Jesus' message and receives him and his message eventually bears the fruit of obedience. And this is why the Gospel of Luke uses the idea of receiving Jesus' message or believing it and obeying Jesus, doing what he says. He just uses those two interchangeably because for Luke... They are one and the same. You can't receive him and his message without also doing what he says. They're the same thing in Luke, and in fact, the same thing throughout the scriptures. So, to receive Jesus in faith very soon bears the fruit of patience and obedience. To receive him is to obey him also. This is somewhat like if you are in a building and the building quickly catches fire. There is disaster all around you. You were, you were once part of a crowd. Maybe it's right here in the sanctuary, and the walls have gone up in flame, and everyone has left, and in the commotion, you have turned around a few times. There is smoke, and there is fire everywhere, and you open up your eyes, and you can't tell which way is north, south, east, or west. You don't know where the exits are. You can't see even your hand in front of your face. You don't know what to do. You need to get out of here, and you don't know the way out, but... Into your vision steps a firefighter in in full gear with a fire blanket. And the firefighter says to you, okay, I'll get you out of here. Take this blanket, wrap it fully around you, even around your head so you can't see, but it will protect you. Take my hand and I'll lead you out of the building. Now, if you receive that firefighter's words, you'll do what he says, right? And if you don't do what he says, it's because you don't trust him and you did not receive his message, right? To receive his words and to do what he says are exactly the same thing. So it is with the preaching of Jesus Christ and even with the gospel. To receive him as savior, as the one who has granted us our forgiveness and to receive him as God and king are one in the same thing. 
And so it is not possible to receive him as one without receiving him as another. To receive him as Lord and as Savior is to place yourself under his authority, look at his words and say, okay, you are the one who saved me. You are my Lord. You are my King. And I will do what you say. And this is why those who receive Jesus and those who do what he says are the same people in Jesus' words. Because the same people do both. So one way you could say the point today is that those who receive his message are more precious than family to him. And they show it through their obedience to him. That is why he can say, my mother and my brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Now you may be asking, okay, what is his message? Right? I want to receive this Jesus. I want to know what his message is. Let me tell you what his message is. His message is essentially himself, who he is, that he is both God and man, that he is the rightful king of all of the universe, and that he has come to earth as we celebrate in Christmas time as a man named Jesus who lived and died and rose all to secure the forgiveness of those who would trust in him. And so he gives a free offer to anyone who hears it and is willing to respond. If you would see all of your sins forgiven, if you would see a good God and King who gives you good guidance for the rest of your life, if you would like to see eternal life on the last day, risen from the dead and living forever with him, he says, turn and trust me. Come and follow me, he says. He is his message, and he calls you to receive him. The Gospel of John in the first chapter says that many did not receive Jesus, but to those who do receive him, who believe on his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. Once a rebel against him, now a child in his kingdom. And so my call to all of you is to place your faith in this Jesus Christ, this good King, this good Lord, this forgiving Savior who secures forgiveness for all of his people. Turn from everything that you are and trust him. Find their salvation in his hand. Those who do this will find themselves more and more doing what Jesus says. Why will they do that all of a sudden? Well, because they trust him. And people who trust him wind up receiving his words and doing what he says. Maybe I could tell you a story just to, uh, to illustrate this. This would be a bit like, if you just think back to olden days when there were kings and queens and knights and, and all, you know, a whole chessboard of a kingdom out there, you know, those days. And there's a knight who serves a good, just, kind king Uh, But he senses that the king down the road is going to one day be more powerful, and so he betrays his king, even murders a few of his fellow knights, leaves and goes and joins the enemy, following the enemy king. This is now a, a rebel and a traitor of a knight. And as time goes on, his, his new home, his new kingdom begins to fall and to crumble. It does not work out well for him, and all that are left are him and a few other knights. And his old king has only gained in power, and he is about to be crushed by his former king and now enemy. But before he is, the king comes and visits him in person in all of his royal attire and says, I know you have betrayed me, but my heart still burns for you. Uh, if you would come back, I would have you come back 
and have a seat in my kingdom at my table. If you don't, my sword will find you. But if you will come back, I will pardon you of all your crimes and I will give you a seat at my table. Now, on one hand, that offer is nothing but grace, right? That knight has not earned that offer. All of his sins forgiven, everything pardoned. Nothing you can do to earn that, right? So it's all grace from start to finish. On the other hand, part of coming back is placing himself under the authority of that king again, right? You can't come back to the king without putting yourself back under his authority. In the same way, for you and I to receive the good news of Jesus is to have all of our sins forgiven freely in a way that we cannot earn in the way that is all based on grace. And at the same time, it is to willingly place ourselves back under our rightful king. And that is one more reason why Jesus can say, blessed are those who hear my words and do them because they've been brought back into my kingdom and follow my ways again. Those who receive Jesus and his message are more precious to him than family. Part of receiving him is placing yourself back under his authority as your rightful king. That means a lot for us on Monday morning and on Wednesday afternoon and, and throughout the week. It really, really changes everything about our lives. It means for those coming into the kingdom, there are sometimes some hurdles that are difficult to get over uh, because we're placing ourselves under Jesus' authority. For many, one of these big hurdles is the identity that we have constructed for ourselves, right? So many today have, have been encouraged to and have chosen to make an identity out of this gender or that gender or somewhere in the middle of the gender spectrum or to make an identity out of who you desire to go to bed with, maybe even whether you really do or not. And to come back to Jesus as rightful king means to look up at him and say, I will let you assign me my gender. I will let you assign me my identity. And this is too great a hurdle for many. Many would not be willing to place themselves under the authority of another who says, I, I tell you who you are. I tell you how to live. My ways are good. The way that I have made you is good, and all that I do is good. But to trust him is to place yourself under his authority and live your whole life his way. Even handling your body the way that he says to handle your body, because you believe his ways are good. Even joining your body only with those that Jesus says you can join your body with because all of his ways are good. He says, more dear than me to my own family are those who hear my words and do them because those are the ones who trust him and have been brought back into his kingdom. Another big hurdle for many as they're coming into the kingdom, and this happens to lots of, I would say probably half the people that come into Jesus' kingdom, there is a point where they know the first thing they need to do is be baptized. And you hear that, and then you see all the water up there, and the people go down and up in it, and you're like, I'm not so sure about that, Jesus. I'm ready to follow you, but that seems just, that, whether it's a fear thing or just a strangeness thing, it's difficult. You had to get up in front of all those people and they're all looking at you and so many are scared to take that first step in baptism. But Jesus says the, 
the ones who come into my kingdom have placed themselves under my authority. Blessed are those who hear my words and do them, right? And that means for the person who wants to follow Jesus but is nervous about being baptized, what I want to tell you is that that's the first of many scary things the Lord will call you to do. I have had to sit in my office and say that to many people. This is scary. And when you are done with it, the Lord will call you to do something else that is scary. And when you are done with that, the Lord will call you to do yet another thing that is scary. Because coming to him means placing yourself under his authority, calling him Lord, and following him. Here is my promise to anyone who fits either of those two categories, doesn't want to leave their old identity behind, is nervous about being baptized, is nervous about joining a church or taking the Lord's Supper, any of this stuff that following Jesus is all about. My promise to you is that what you are leaving behind is not as valuable as the Savior that you are gaining. My my promise to you is that Jesus Christ is, is worth it. He is worth giving up everything for. If you have him and nothing, you have everything. So that's the promise I want to make you. He is worth that there for anyone struggling on the fence to come in. For many of us, long after we have come to Jesus, there are still many hurdles we are trying to get over to just believe his words and do them. Uh, For many my generation and younger, uh, many of us are willing to follow Jesus in every way except with our sexuality, right? Uh, every way, I'll follow all of his commands except we love each other and so we are going to live together before we get married. It's hard to lay that one command down and say, you know what, I will even follow that command. But to trust Jesus in faith means to come under his authority and say, no, we will keep our marriage bed pure. We will follow our Lord in all of his ways. He says, the ones that hear my words and do them are more precious to me than family. For some of us, we hear his commands to forgive those that have sinned against us, even 70 times, seven times. And we have an easy time with that for 6.9 billion people in the world and a really hard time with that one person right? You you probably know who I'm talking about. All of us can think of that one person that's really hard to forgive. And Jesus calls us, as we have been forgiven, to forgive others. And so coming under his authority and saying, you are my king, you are my Lord, I hear your words and I do them, means even forgiving that one person. That doesn't mean letting them manipulate you if that person is really manipulative. It just means looking at them and saying, honestly, I promise I'll never punish you for that and you don't owe me a thing for what you have done to me. Forgiving even that one person who has sinned against you 70 times, seven times. We could go on and on, couldn't we? So many of the commands of Jesus are difficult, but blessed are those, even more than family, those who hear his words and do them. Okay, that's half of it. That's the hearing his words and doing them part. What does it mean that he would make this illustration that these people, the ones who follow my preaching, are more valuable to me than my family? Don't miss. It's his real mom outside there trying to get in. Can you guys imagine if the doors were locked and my mom was trying to get in? And I said, well... You know who my real mom is? 
and didn't go let her in, let her out there in the cold. I, I can't even finish this because I love my mom too much, but you get the idea, right? Like this is a big statement that he is making. More precious than the bond he has with his earthly mother is his bond with those who hear his words and do them. Now, some of you know the delight that you have in some of your family members, and, and some of you know hardship in your family, and you long for strong family relationships. Uh, just, just imagine, for you, who is that person in your family that you love to put your arms around? You, you feel that warmth and that loyalty when maybe your father or your, your mother or one of your children or your brother or your sister just puts their arms around you. And a few of you are saying, there's no one in my family that I have that strong of a relationship with, but I bet you long for it if that's the place that you're in. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a good father wrap his arms around you and hold the side of your face and say, I am so proud of you. There's warmth and there is loyalty. Just this last week, I was down in Tennessee at my parents' house celebrating Thanksgiving with Emily and the kids and some of my cousins, and it was wonderful. My mom knows that when I was a boy, my favorite thing she ever cooked was stromboli, which is kind of like a calzone, but it's rolled up in a spiral. Oh, it's so good. And it took me several years of coming home and visiting home before I realized that every time I come home, there's magically a stromboli in the oven. Uh, so the first night we had stromboli and it was fantastic. She gets better and better at cooking it. It's crazy. And so just full of a, of a really good meal that my mom made because she loves me. And I sat there on the couch and thought, what, what a thing to be loved like this. And then my youngest and second youngest daughters jumped up into my lap on the couch and one of them wrapped themselves around this arm and the other one wrapped herself around this arm and I just sat there with my five and seven-year-old daughters, each of them clinging to one of my arms, resting their heads right here and I just laid back in that couch and watched Wheel of Fortune of all things uh, and thought, is, is there anybody on earth that is happier than I am right now? Oh, man. Jesus says in these words that if, if you're one of those people who hear the word of God preached and you're taking notes because you don't want to miss any of it, or you're trying as hard as you can to hear it all and remember it all, or, or your hearing is going but you're straining to hear it because you want to hear his words and do them. If you're one of those people that goes to Sunday school and listens to that lesson and tries to apply everything you can, if you hear his words and say, this Lord is good, I want to follow him. He says the delight and loyalty that he has in you is greater than what I felt sitting on that couch that day with my two daughters in my arm. Such is the loyalty and delight that the Lord has for those who hear his words and do them. This must be why James, his earthly brother, starts out his letter not... James, the brother of Jesus, that's what I would have said, but James, a servant of Christ Jesus, is more blessed to be a servant and do what he says than it is to be his earthly brother. That must be why Mary, when she learned that she would be the mother of the Messiah, did not say, I am the Lord's mother, everyone should do what I say. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. 
because she knew that it was more blessed to be a servant of this Jesus and do what he says than it is even to be his own mother. That brings us to the last thing that I want to talk about today. Uh, For a very few of us, perhaps, in this room, and for probably several of our friends, uh, these words that Jesus speak must change how we look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, This is especially true of our friends who were raised in the Catholic Church, uh, who have been taught, some of them from childhood, maybe you have from childhood, that Mary, Jesus' mother, is on one hand a saint, uh, and not everybody is a saint to them, so she's, she's special and more holy than other people that she remained a virgin for her whole life, and so she's very extra pure because she remained a virgin, even though she was married to Joseph, and that she, even in heaven, is someone that we should go to and pray to and ask her to pray for us. Jesus says here a few things. Well, first, he has brothers, so there goes the she remained a virgin thing, right? She has other sons, so do the math there. Also, he says, actually, what is so special about my mom is not that she's my mom, but when she heard the words of the angel, the word of God revealed to her from the angel, she said, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to you, may it be to me as you have said. This is what makes Mary so special. Not that she was the one chosen to bear Jesus into the world, as wonderful and as honorable as that is. When she was given the commission, she looked up to God and she said, okay, you've said it. That sounds crazy, but I will do it, right? These are the ones that Jesus takes delight in, the ones that look up to him and say, that sounds crazy, but I will do it. So those of us who have been taught differently about Mary, uh, what we must do is obey his words that we actually even read earlier in the worship service today. He says, right, more blessed than my mom is those who hear my words and do them, right? Well, he teaches us how to pray, and he says, pray this way, our Father, right? We start our prayers by addressing them, not to people in heaven, but to God who is in heaven. The scripture forbids any attempts to communicate with the dead and necromancy and all of those. It forbids all of it. Instead, we look straight to God and we say, God, here is what I need. Would you give this to us? Now, I realize these things are hard to hear. If you were raised in the Catholic Church and and, and you're hearing this, you may feel that I'm opposing you, but here's the good news that I want to give you. Uh, If you're wanting to lift Mary up to the level of, of saint and to see her as pure and spotless, and you feel that her perpetual virginity is important to that, and to see her as someone that we should go to and ask to pray for us. Here's the good news I want to give you. The Lord would like to make you all three of those things. A saint, someone spotlessly pure, And someone who, for as long as you walk this earth, people should go to and say, will you pray for me? Because your prayers have power, right? He he would make you a saint. But that means something a little different for us, right? Paul writes to the Corinthians and he tells them all, he says, to all the saints in Corinth, right? All the holy way. Everyone who trusts in Jesus is a holy one, a saint to God. If you would turn and trust Jesus, you'll find the word saint applied to you. The Lord would like to make you a saint, 
we want to attach a sense of purity to Mary's perpetual virginity, right? But what the Lord says to everyone who follows him, including Mary, is though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. More pure than you might want to imagine the Virgin Mary is, the Lord desires to make each of us if we would turn and trust him. And he would like to make each of us the sort of person whose prayers carry enough power that your brothers and sisters are coming to you and saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Just as you may want to go to Mary and say, Mary, pray for us. Mary, pray for No, the Lord wants to make you that as you live here on earth, the one that people go to and say, pray for us. The good news of Jesus is always better than the false versions of it that are out there. And this is just one way that what the Bible truly teaches and what Jesus truly says is better than what we are tempted to believe. So who are then the true mother and the true brothers of Jesus? Who is more dear to him and who is he more loyal to than family? It is those right here in this room who would receive this Jesus and would in turn do as he says. May that be ever true of each and every one of us in this room. Let's pray and ask him for this.